Pastor Jeff is continuing our series in Hebrews in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It's on page 1188 in the Bible in the chair in front of you, or if you're using the Black Hebrews Guide, it's on page 14. Jesus greater than Moses. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to us, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. I, uh, I'm Pastor Jeff. For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to connect with you uh, afterwards. And uh, one thing to know about me is I'm kind of a history nerd. And uh, I love discovering kind of uh, weird, to me, interesting things uh, about history that I didn't know. For example, I just discovered uh, recently that there has been a battle going on between the state of Minnesota and the state of Virginia for more than a century. And uh, at the cause of it is a Confederate icon, a ratty old battle flag that came into Minnesotan hands in 1863. It was the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg, and the first Minnesota infantry was holding a key position when they were suddenly facing a Confederate force five times as large as they were that was starting to come towards them. The Minnesota first general told his men they needed to charge the enemy and delay them for five minutes to give him time to bring up more reinforcements. 215 of the 262 men in the regiment were killed or wounded, 82%. Their own flag fell five times, and each time it was picked up. They held the enemy off, though and they contributed to a key Union victory at Gettysburg. And the very next day, in fact, the third day of the battle, those 47 survivors were reinforced by more troops. They went back into battle again and overran the Virginia 28th Infantry and captured that battle flag. And for 100 years, Virginia has been asking for their flag back. A group of Virginia military reenactors tried to sue the state of Minnesota to get it back in 1998. The Minnesota Attorney General told them to, quote, go fly a kite, end quote. In 2000, Virginia legislators contacted Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura, the WWF wrestler, to try and get their flag back. Why would we give it back to them, he said. We won. In 2002, the uh, chief of military history in the U.S. declared that a flag like the 28th Virginia should really be in a historical museum in Virginia. 
One writer said Minnesota thought it should be housed in the proud halls of Step Off, Virginia. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Governor Tim Pawlenty turned down Virginia in 2003, and Governor Mark Dayton did it again in 2013. Years and years of Virginians trying to recapture kind of a, a lost glory, and years and years of Minnesotans telling Virginia to go pound sand because... We're boasting about that victory, and we're not going to give up the glory that we won on that battlefield. If you think about it, though, it's understandable, but in some ways a little odd, because none of the guys involved in this argument were actually involved in that battle. I mean, these were their great-great-grandparents that were talking about it. They're identifying with something through that flag. They're identifying with maybe victory or a bravery or sacrifice or, or what some perceive as a lost cause. Some would say, my family fought for that flag. And many others would say, my family fought to defeat that flag and everything that it stands for. And many other people would say, I have a hard time with even seeing that flag because my family was tyrannized under that flag. Like any symbol, a flag is not neutral. It stands for something, and, and it both unites people together under what it symbolizes and then separates them from people on the other side. And that's especially true of this Confederate flag because of the history and the associations with that symbol. People unite under symbols, under flags, because it points to something bigger than us whether it's for a good cause or for a bad one, it gives us a sense of identity. I mean, think about it. We, we wear jerseys of sports teams. It's a way of identifying with them, right? When I was a boy growing up in Texas, I was a Cowboys fan, and I wanted to wear Cowboys jerseys to identify with Roger Staubach and Tom Landry and Too Tall Jones and, uh, and all the rest. I never threw a touchdown pass. I never caught an interception. I never went to the Super Bowl. It was a way of kind of borrowing some of their glory because of their excellence. And it's the same thing whether it's wearing a t-shirt for a rock band that we like or having the right brand of shoes or driving a certain kind of car or showing that we support a particular cause or a person or a position. There's something about us that is wired for for glory, for recognition, for uh, identity, for significance, for purpose. And we get it on our own sometimes, and other times we get it by connecting to someone or something that's greater than ourselves. Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Hebrews, and this morning we're looking at a passage that is all about identity and glory and significance and purpose, and confidence. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3 in the New Testament. As Bob said, if you're using that uh, black Bible in the seat, the pocket underneath in front of you, that's on page 1188. If you have one of our Hebrews devotional journals, it's on page 14. We start here in verse 1, and the writer to Hebrews is pointing out how Christians are people who have heard a heavenly calling and responded to it. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, 
It is a heavenly calling because it comes from God, and it's a heavenly calling because it's inviting us and leading us to God through Christ. That heavenly calling that the writer is talking about addresses our two greatest needs, a word from God and a way to God. We are made for glory, for significance, for eternity, for a larger purpose. We are made for God. And the writer here is describing believers, Christians, as holy brothers, those who have been set apart because our lives have been gripped by the recognition and the response to this message from God that leads us to God that is focused on Christ. God has spoken to us in and through his Son and broken through our natural resistance to him. And we have believed, and so our hope and our confidence is in Christ. That's the significance of this description of Jesus in the end of chapter 1. The apostle and high priest of our confession. Apostle means one who is sent. The authoritative messenger from God. Jesus is the one to show us, to tell us how we can know God and what we were made for. And high priest means that he is the mediator. He is the go-between, between a holy God and a sinful people. Jesus is the high priest who stands in between to make peace. We saw that, remember, in the end of chapter 2 last week. A merciful and faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation from the people. That's a big word that means a sacrifice that appeases God's righteous wrath towards sin and rebellion so that Jesus comes to reconcile us to God, to make peace. So we are the ones trusting in Jesus who have heard this calling from God and responded to it and now have confidence that through Jesus, our apostle, our messenger, that we are going to God loved and reconciled and forgiven and adopted into his family and secure in that. And so the writer says then, pay attention, look to Jesus, consider Jesus, listen to him, focus on him. Meditate on him. Why? Because he is the apostle. He is the word from God. And he is the priest. He is the sacrifice. He is the way to God. And in that, the writer to the Hebrews is reflecting themes that go through this whole book that is written to help us see the greatness of Jesus. That Jesus is greater than anything else we could hope in, anything else we could turn to, any other identity or significance or confidence that we could have or find. In chapter 1, remember the writer showed how Jesus is superior to the angels because Jesus is the creator and the angels are simply creatures who are servants. In chapter 2, Jesus takes on human flesh and fulfills this hope of Psalm 8 
that made a little while lower than the angels, you have now crowned him, Jesus, with glory and honor and put everything in subjection under him. And the point at every stage in this book is see how much greater Jesus is. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. I don't know if uh, any of you ever did any scouting or hiking or orienteering. Uh, when I was a kid in scouts, we had, I think we, they still use little magnetic compasses that point to magnetic north. Our minds are like compass needles that are being constantly drawn to this magnet and that magnet and that magnet and another magnet in our culture and in our world around us. And the writer is saying, make Jesus the north pole, the magnetic north of your life that guides you, that shapes you, that directs you, that orients you to everything. And then the writer goes into some detail that we want to look at here in how Jesus is superior to Moses. Consider how Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, why? Because as we see what makes Jesus greater, that is what in verse 6 strengthens our confidence and our boasting and our hope in Christ so that we would stand firm in him. So in verse 2, the writer draws this comparison between Moses and Jesus. Jesus was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all that God commanded him to do. Moses was faithful in all of his house. The writer there is quoting from Numbers chapter 12 where God says, you know, if there's a prophet among you that I speak to, I'll speak to him in visions and dreams, but not with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household, in everything I command him to do. I speak with him openly, not in dark sayings. He beholds my form. Do you see how Moses is elevated here? Moses is unique among all of God's servants, that he could actually speak to God face to face, that God would talk to him directly. And Moses is one of a kind. But the writer says, look to Jesus' greater glory in, in two key ways. First of all, look to Jesus' greater glory as the builder. Look in verse 3. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, more glory as the builder of a house has than the house has itself. The World Series has uh, just come to an end. Uh, most of us here maybe weren't even aware of that because neither the Cardinals nor the Cubs were involved in it. But uh, I understand the Red Sox won, uh, uh, I think, four games to one over the Dodgers. So it's not hard for us to, to get this picture in our head. The Red Sox have a kind of glory as the so-called world champions because we're Americans. So, of course, that counts for the whole world. They're the world champions, which gives them a greater glory than the Dodgers, who are simply the National League champions. And the Dodgers have a greater glory than the Indians, who were the American League division champions, and, and so on. And, and all of them have more glory than my poor Cardinals, who weren't even in the playoffs this year. So, see, verse 3 is, is kind of getting at that. Jesus has more glory, a different kind of glory 
in relation to God's household. But not just a greater amount of glory, a different kind, because Moses was faithful in the house of God, as part of the household of God, but Jesus is the builder of the house. He's saying Jesus is to the people of God as a builder is to the house. Uh, Bob Blonick was a, a house builder for a number of years and could probably go and, and look at beautiful homes that he's designed. And John Hoot in the same way, look at this house that I designed. And people might look at it and say, well, it's a beautiful house, but wouldn't you give a greater appreciation to the actual builder? The builder is the one who gets the glory, not the house itself. Oh, look at those shutters. Look at the siding. That's really... Somebody designed that, and somebody built it. A building is impressive, but the builder is more impressive. A work of art is impressive. But if you've ever actually met the artist, how much more impressive is that? To, to be awed by the, the, the talent. You made that? Music is beautiful. But the composer and the musicians are more impressive than, than the piece of music itself. I've got on my ABTS mission team hoodie today. Uh, it, it's kind of impressive. You know, it, it makes me feel good. I was a part of that. I was part of the team that went over to, to learn from and encourage and support Ellie and Murray and others in Beirut at ABTS. But Johnny's the one who designed the hoodies. I mean, Johnny could look at it and say, well, yeah, but I mean, it looks great because I'm the one who designed it. And others of you, many of you could boast about being the ones who made that trip even possible because of your prayers and your financial support, your regular giving that enables us to do that. And then, of course, Ellie could boast about being the one actually doing the ministry in Beirut that we're going to support. But what the writer here is getting at is Jesus is the one who's saying, I made all of you. I made all of that possible. I made the cotton grow up from the ground that went into manufacturing this hoodie. I'm the one that gave anyone the ability to design and manufacture and, and transport those hoodies. I, I grow the grass. I make the sun shine. I give you and sustain your life. I gave you the abilities and talents to do what you did. I put the resources in your hand to make it possible. Every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of all things. Jesus is God. Jesus is the builder. That's how great he is. And that's the confidence that God wants us to have. Not in ourselves, not in what we're doing, not in our faithful service, but in Jesus' faithfulness. Because he is the faithful apostle who has brought the final word of God to us. He is the faithful high priest. And his work on the cross is finished and sufficient because it is of infinite worth as the work of God himself. God made you. What do I have to boast in? My, my faithful service? My understanding of doctrine and theology? Moses was faithful in all of God's house. I mean, that is high praise. But Jesus is the one who builds the house. Jesus is the one who establishes the tasks. Jesus is the one who enables us to be faithful in whatever level we are. 
There is a glory in faithfulness to God's purposes, but not my faithfulness. It's Jesus' faithfulness that is our glory and our confidence. See, you, you watch a football or, or baseball game, and uh, someone scores a touchdown and, or hits a home run, and the athlete will sometimes lift a finger and, and point to heaven like this. Now, we don't know what their beliefs are or what they're intending, but I think it's meant to be some kind of an expression of gratitude, an expression of worship, a recognition that God is the one that enabled me to do this. And while what I did might look impressive, God is the one who's more impressive. And in a healthy way, that, that could kind of be a model to us that our lives ought to be about pointing back always to Jesus Christ in worship and confidence and hope because He is our glory. I'm not all that impressive, frankly. I mean, what is mankind? that you are mindful of him. What is our glory compared to God? Our lives here are about letting God get glory out of our lives because he's the builder of your life. He is the author of your story. Let that sink in, the writer says. Consider this, that if you have any confidence this morning, that your sins are forgiven, that, that you can be faithful in what God calls you to, it is because of Jesus. Because the greater and the more glorious he is in your life, the more confidence you have. Look to Jesus' greater glory as the builder. And look to Jesus' greater glory, he goes on to say, as the son in the house. Look at verse 5. Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Now the house is not a physical building. It's the household, the people of God. And Moses was a servant in that house for the sake of the people of God. But do you see the contrast he's drawing here? Jesus is the son over the house. The difference between a servant and a son is that a son, by inheritance, owns the house, he's lord over the house, he directs the affairs of the house, and he provides for the people in the house. The servants don't own anything, they don't make their own decisions, they don't provide for themselves. Jesus has the greater glory because he owns the house, he rules the house, he provides for the house, and Yes, we are servants in that house, but more amazingly, we are, in fact, the house itself. We are his house. You remember that image that we saw last week from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, that Jesus took on our humanity, and he is not ashamed to call us his brothers. So while we are servants, we are ambassadors, we are children, we are brothers of Jesus. Moses was faithful as a servant. Just like Jesus says about John the Baptist, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Now, why? 
John is a faithful servant to God's people, and, and Jesus is not saying John isn't in the kingdom, but he's saying they have a role as a servant to testify to me, to point people to me. That's this echo of Moses testifying things that were to be spoken of later in Deuteronomy 18, where Moses says, there will come a prophet after me. You must listen to everything that he has to say. Moses was pointing to Jesus, just like John the Baptist was, not to themselves. To be a servant of God is a great thing, but it's nothing compared to being a child of God through faith in Christ. Moses would say, John would say, my confidence is not that I was a faithful messenger. Jesus' faithfulness is my hope and my trust. Far better to be a child of God by grace than a servant of God by effort. Better to be a child of God by grace than a servant of God by earning. And yes, we are servants, and yes, we serve God, and we're sent out. But how much more important is it to know that what is most true about us is that we are children of God because of Jesus. Jesus carries us along with him, shares his greater glory with us because he is a son. And if we are with him, then we share that identity. Because son is a role that you inherit. It's not one you earn. I was born into a family. I have a mother and father who raised me, who loved me, who encouraged me. And I did nothing to earn it or deserve it. What could I have done to earn it or deserve it? I was simply born. It was 100% grace. And that is my identity. I am their child. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. I have to live out of it. And to be a child of God is the same thing. Being a faithful servant might be something to boast in. But to be a son, to be a child is far better because the greatest servant is below any child. The servant will never inherit. The servant will never command. We are co-heirs with Christ. Because we are his children. That is our confidence. And the striking thing here is that that is what this writer of the Hebrews wants us to understand. Christ was faithful as a son over the house. And we are his house if we hold fast to our confidence and boasting in our hope. The writer wants you to apply the greatness of Jesus to yourself because you are in Christ. You are his house. That means that Jesus this morning, not just in Moses' day, not just in John's day, but here and now, Jesus is our glory. Jesus is our confidence and our hope because we are his house. We are his people. We partake his heavenly calling if we hold fast to the confidence that we have and boasting in him, the boasting in our hope. And part of the evidence that we are part of God's household, that we are his family, is when we hold on to Jesus and make sure that our confidence and our security and our identity is in him. 
and not in ourselves or what we are doing. That produces perseverance and confident boasting in Christ. What is a, a boast? Uh, a boast uh, can be kind of taken back to a military imagery that we started with. It's a, a verbal plot proclamation of an assurance of victory. I mean, how do you get soldiers to charge into danger, into the possibility of death? By the, the captain, the general getting up and saying, our, our arms are strong and our aim is true and we can take that hill, we will win. Boasting is a way of, of building up confidence to charge forward, to say, we've got what it takes. What is it that you tend to look to to give you your confidence? To give you a sense of identity? To make you believe that you are competent? Luther says, when Satan accuses us, we will naturally turn to our own righteousness to bolster our confidence. When when we're tempted, when we're threatened, we will fall back on Self-affirmations like, I'm really a good parent. I'm not really like that. That's not who I am. Look at all that I've accomplished. Look how much I know. Look at, look at how much better I'm doing than those people. That's what the self-esteem movement is all about. Believe in yourself and build yourself up and, and trust in yourself. Uh, last week, I was talking to someone in the office about um, a home supplies, kitchen supplies store. And uh, the person uh, mentioned it, and, and uh, I had to jump in and correct their pronunciation. Oh, you mean sur la table, because I was a French major in college. Now, the person had not mispronounced the name of the store. I just wanted to have a glory and boast in my superior French skills, which, of course, are pathetic compared to someone who actually speaks French as, as a native speaker. Why do I need to do that? So, so that I can sound impressive and let this other person know that I know how to speak French. Where are you looking for confidence, for glory? In your finances, in, in your management, in your career, in your accomplishment, your skills, your knowledge your looks, your physical fitness, your hard work. God's word to us this morning is consider, look to Jesus. The word from God and the way to God. The only lasting glory, the only cause for confidence, the only boasting in hope is being part of the household of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is our glory. And when I live out of that, it changes me. When I live out of that, see, I'm no longer seeking the applause, the recognition, the affirmation, the pat on the back from other people. It helps me stop needing other people to validate me, to value me, to approve me, because I already have a good report from God in Jesus. God looks at me with the only eyes that ultimately matter. And he looks at me with love and delight and approval because of Jesus. 
And when I live out of that, it, it also reminds me of what Jesus did to secure that for me. Jesus was jeered so that I would get the applause, that Jesus was rejected so that I could be accepted, that Jesus was faithful in trials where I am faithless so that I would get the credit of his obedience. And then that transforms how I look at jeering and rejection and difficulty and trials Because it doesn't mean I'm abandoned and it doesn't mean God has forgotten me or God is no longer good. It means I'm following the path that Jesus has marked out for me. And he could be glorified now in the things that he's taking me through. So that now in Christ, I have a proper humility and an amazing hope and confidence that's far beyond what I could have in myself. So I don't think too highly of myself, but now, because in Christ, I can dream big things and dare big things in Christ, because God has destined me for glory, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in that context, meaning I could could reflect God's grace and glory and truth in every circumstance that Jesus takes me into, whether rejoicing or sorrowful, whether in want or in plenty whether in sickness or in health, for better or for worse, in everything, God could be glorified through me. Because God brings opportunities in all those things to do amazing, beautiful, impossible, glorious things through Christ. So because Jesus has the greater glory, we share in that glory as we look to him, as we trust in him, No more boasting in self. No more putting confidence in me or in other sports teams or political parties or whatever solutions the world is offering. My confidence, my identity, my security, my boast, my glory is in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Look to Jesus. Boast in Him, in His work for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Father, for the hope, the glory of Christ that is available to us. Father, forgive us. Forgive me for the ways that I can be so quick to want to have a glory of my own, and an identity that's about what I've done or accomplished or how I can connect myself to this movement or those people that look really impressive or awesome. Oh, Father, help us to look to Jesus, to be impressed and awed and to find our identity, our confidence, our glory, our boast in him. Thank you, Father. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.